Welcome to the Brodacious Book Club, the podcast where we host a book club and I haven't read the book. Oh, oh, should I? You, I, I thought I thought you were doing the like... The whole thing? I don't know. Or I could pass it to you and you could do that or I could... I don't have any... I haven't prepared anything. I don't have anything bro ready, but that's okay. We can figure it out. We'll do it on the fly. We can wing it. Using our... Uh, I forget what that's called when you make stuff up, but... Brain? Imagination? No, like, like when you do it like in acting. I don't know why I'm snapping. Ad-lib? Maybe? Improv? Improv. Improv was the word I was looking for. Unit improv. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I'm your host, Aaron Rockford, and with me is my good, good bro, the... Oh, we're not we're not very good at improv, are we? We're not very good at improv. <laughs> um, <laughs> is the problem this is why neither of us are actors? Yeah, it's it's why um, the Brower with the power that doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, the Brower with the power, sure. <laughs> I was trying to do something along the lines of like politician, but I it, nothing was nothing was coming together. Fair enough. You could do you could do like a play on the recent very popular Bo Burnham special on Netflix and call me Bro Burnham. I mean, fair enough. I feel like that would give the impression that I know anything about Bo Burnham. Though, fair enough. <laughs> which Too I true. do not. Too true. That's fine. Him having a recent Netflix special is about as much as I could tell you about him as a person. Indeed, same here. So anyway, level playing field. Every episode we review a new book read by me and discussed with Matt. <laughs> Did I say your name earlier? I think so. The Brower with the Power, Matt Thomas. I might not have. Anyway, Matt. Moving right along. Moving right, <laughs> moving along. right along. I often know nothing or very little about the books discussed, providing a sort of sounding board slash peanut gallery with occasional humorous bent. Basically, if I understand the book by the end of the podcast, so will you. And that means we have done our job. Our goal is to help you, the listener, understand the sometimes humorous nuances of books and stories without having to read them. Because you're busy. And we get that. And of course, because we'll be diving right into these novels and the, you know, plot points, character developments, what have you, we like to issue a spoiler alert. And if you don't want spoilers, we absolutely encourage you to read the book beforehand and then listen to the summary to hear our thoughts and remark along with us. Exactly, exactly. We're always happy to hear your thoughts as well. This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes. It's, I guess, theoretically a comedy podcast, although we have already discussed how we don't know much about comedy. We struggle. We struggle, but... And we mean no disrespect to the books or the authors discussed, and again, we encourage you to read the books for yourself. Yeah, we're not professional critics. We're just two people who think that we are funny sometimes. Sometimes, when we're not squabbling over what improv is. I don't know if squabbling's the right word for what happened earlier but fumbling more accurate i'd say (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh goodness gracious but anyway so happy to be back so happy to be back yeah it's been a while it's been like a month or whatever i know we had a good backlog going and now we have exhausted that so because we talked for three hours about shadow and bone (laughs) and that just led to having more than one episode's worth of material indeed a lot to say and on that before that's mm-hmm. it's been greenlit for another season yeah i'm so excited as we have discussed i'm so, so excited stay tuned for more yeah yes i'm really excited to to pick that up again whenever that season comes out i don't know Me as well. when they film it presumably it's gonna be a good time it's gonna be a good time <laughs> i never know with netflix shows because like sometimes like with like normal tv shows like they kind of follow a yearly yeah. pattern i never know with no, netflix, netflix shows it seems weird. like they just kind of come out whenever they feel like it yeah like just yesterday they came out with the second season of lupin the 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 French TV show about uh, Asin Lupin. I've heard good things about that, yeah. It's fantastic, <laughs> but they, they've been pumping out seasons super quick, at least from where I'm standing, so no complaints, but yeah, super weird, irregular. Anyway. But anyway, we've been derailed already, so... Yep. Back on to the rails, as it were. So, Aaron, what are we reading today? What do we got? So, today, I am realizing that I may have lied to you last recording, you and our listeners, and I apologize for that, about what we were reading. Okay. I told you that we would be reading The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin. Right. And that's still on the docket. We're still going to get to that one because I think it's an interesting book to discuss. But because the book that we are actually doing today has a sequel or like a spinoff off. I guess, coming out soon. I thought it would be more appropriate to pick up with another book that's on the list of sort of books I have prepared. Hell yeah. So instead, we are reading a book called The Goblin Emperor. Tell me about this. Okay. Have we... Okay. I'm curious. I have it here. You do? I feel like a real book 
YouTuber. I realize we're not filming for YouTube, but I have I have it. Beautiful cover. It does have a nice cover. Vaguely, uh, I don't know, kind of kind of gives me Dragonlance vibes. Just the maybe it's just the size of the book, but I mean, it is. This is like a mass market paperback version, so it does. It it is Dragonlance esque in composition. Fair yes. Speaking of which, to be derailed again briefly, recently yeah. I learned that Jugmeet Singh loves Dragonlance. That is amazing. Has read them all. Was formative part of his youth. Yeah. Amazing. I feel like the world needs to know. I I mean I'm I'm happy to know that. That Indeed. makes me very very happy. Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like the odds that we could get him on to do a Dragonlance episode are like vanishingly slim. Quite so. But what an episode that would be. You never know. You never know. Well, who knows? We might we might go viral tomorrow. Get a huge following. Convince him to sit down with us because of that. <laughs> You never know. Exactly. Well, <laughs> Mr. Singh, if you are listening to this, you are invited onto the podcast. Indeed. Consider this an open invitation. Consider this an open invitation to talk about Dragonlance or anything else, really. But <laughs> wouldn't that be fun? Anyway. Anyway. So sorry about that. <laughs> that's okay. Back to the rails. So the Goblin Emperor. That's that's it. The Goblin Emperor. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Is have we read anything from this series before from this world? Nope. No. We have not. No. Very cool sounds interesting i can't wait to get stuck in first question who's the author and when was it written if you have that information on hand yeah i do actually i've started i've started taking notes of that because i know you asked (laughs) you know my question i do so the book is by Catherine addison which is a uh, pseudonym actually or a, a pen name for sarah monette who has written other things i think mostly romance novels i've never read any of the her her stuff as sarah monette but she has a couple of things out as Catherine Addison, as writers do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and this book came out in 2014, so it's a little bit of an older book, but it tends to get sort of passed around. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like I've heard lots of recommendations for this book before I ever read it. It's sort of a, a decently big name in the like sci-fi fantasy community, I would say. Okay, hell yeah, sounds good. Sounds interesting. Do you want to get us started with describing the setting a little bit, some of the characters or the general arc that we're about to embark on? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I feel like I should mention is that this book comes with like two different indices about pronunciation and names and the use of language. Well, that's perfect. If it has so many indices, then we can expect that you will pronounce everything perfectly. <laughs> I, I thank you. I think <laughs> I'm, I am going to try and simplify. There's like a lot of complicated names in this book, and so I'm going to try and like skip over some of them just for ease of like my speaking and also listening, sure. so that you don't have to sure. hear me try to say uh, things like the Unthalenese Court over and over again. Okay, because that just seems like it's going to be a bad time for all of us. It's it's a fantasy novel, which I feel like is implied by the title. And it's set in a place called the Elflands, which is sort of a fantasy kingdom inhabited by like a race of people who are, I guess, vaguely elfin. They don't necessarily have what seems like all that much in common with, you know, like your your Tolkien elves, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like they're not necessarily any more long lived than any of the other races. And there's not, we don't really get to hear much about like if there are humans in this world or anything like that that it's just that the the kingdom itself is called the elf lands okay the only sort of other information we get about the broader world is that there is a place like neighboring kingdom that is the goblin kingdom it's called barazan Mm -hmm. and the elf lands are sort of not goblins they are like generally i think the implication is that they are generally sort of fair-skinned fair-haired elves ish yeah sort of vaguely elfin perhaps interesting i'm curious about these these people what uh, you say like there aren't really many comparisons to the Tolkien elves like what what exactly how would you describe them if not other than just the fair skinned and and fair haired generally I believe they have pointed ears okay totally elves but aside from that like they they aren't particularly like nature inclined there's like a bunch of different sort of clans like they're not in the woods Okay. (laughs) and like I said they're not they're not particularly long lived I believe either they do use like 
like very formal language usually like there's a big deal in the book given to like the culture between formal and informal use of language like it's a situation where in especially like within sort of realms of authority and realms of politics like it's appropriate to use we instead of I mm, I see okay. for example like the, the royal we shall we say Indeed. but that's like what all of the nobles use interesting okay cool yeah cool and same with like thee and thou in place of you and your well like you and your i believe are the formal use and thee and thou are informal interesting okay can't wait to get in it i understand the indices now or the need for the indices you understand why there's why there's some some stuff at the back of the book yeah the book's not all that complicated it's just like this these are sort of it's flavor fantastic i love it i love flavor this is this is half the half the reason why we do this <laughs> gotta get chef's kiss i love it i don't know why i keep chef's kissing when the people listening to this can't hear me all but... they hear is just over and over which i'm sure sounds great on audio (laughs) you're gonna find out when you edit (laughs) yeah i I guess i will oh the other thing i guess of note about the setting before we actually get into anything is that there's sort of actually very similar to kind of the shadow and bone-esque technology like this is a fantasy kingdom that has some fantasy stuff going on like some some Mm -hmm. older there's an emperor there's you know the sort of strict nobility there's some like little pieces of like magical stuff um although that's not a major focus there's also Mm -hmm. like a strong technological component to this so like they have airships as you can maybe see on the cover yes like a little like a little zeppelin indeed okay that's what that is so that's the other thing to know about the setting i would say okay fantastic so like if you had to give it like an analogous time period roughly like late 1700s early 1800s or like late 1800s or i would say like late 1800s early 1900s maybe it's sort of like a vaguely steampunk ish i love it aesthetic i would say i love that already (laughs) i love i love cyberpunk that's amazing okay it's good fantastic so we've got an idea of the setting we've got an idea of the time period and the technology i'm assuming that there's some sort of like magic system as well that we'll learn about or there is a little bit but we don't get like a strong we don't get a lot of information about it. Sure. Okay. It's tied into sort of their spirituality is as much as we kind of know. Lovely. Personally, those are the magic systems that I prefer. The very vague ones, you know, that's just a personal <laughs> decision. That personal choice though. Fantastic. Okay. You want to tell us a little bit about some of the characters or would that be best kept for when we begin? No, I can tell you about the, the main character at least. Please do. Please do. So his name is Maya. Okay. Which I think I'm pronouncing correctly based on the pronunciation guide, but this will be the first test of that certainly will we'll find out in the comments (laughs) yeah i'm sure we will he is i believe the youngest son of the current emperor of the elf lands okay and his mother was a goblin so she was like the second or no i think she was the second wife of the emperor perhaps the initial empress died and he had to remarry for political reasons and in order to strengthen ties with barazan the goblin kingdom he married one of the the ruler who's known as the great Avar, he married one of the daughters, uh, one of the princesses, and they had one child, which was Maya, and she died when he was very young, and then he was kind of banished to the countryside after that to live in like a little tiny kind of rundown estate with a, a vague cousin. And he looks quite a bit like his mother, like he has goblin looks, which basically means that he's got like darker skin than like sort of regular Elfland inhabitants and dark hair. Like green darker or does it not get into it? It doesn't really get into that. Like there's this is him on the front, I believe. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Like the the implication I got was that it was sort of like a grayish dark skin tone, but that might just be what I was picturing. I'm not entirely sure if that was based on the descriptions in the book, but yeah. Sure. Fantastic. Okay. So uh, they're they're not, I guess, goblins in the like traditional short green green yeah they're just like a distinct sort of ethnic group would be the best way to describe it i think and he just happens to take after the goblin side quite a bit and so he looks very distinct from like the rest of the royal family gotcha that makes sense Mm -hmm. so our main character is maya youngest son of the elf emperor half goblin and kind of exiled yeah he's he's very much like the least favorite of the children (laughs) very clearly gotcha gotcha clearly meant to be forgotten about 
I gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. Are there any other characters you want to introduce us to at this point, or is that about it? I think the other the other important character to know about at the beginning is the cousin that he lives with, whose name is Satheris. And Satheris is older, obviously. He's also kind of disgraced from the court. I think he just got, if I'm remembering the story correctly, he just kind of got like a bad hand, like threw his cards in with the wrong person. Yeah, yeah. And, and ended up getting maligned as a result. He's very angry about that and he takes his anger out on Maya is like verbally and physically abusive to him. I see. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, and sorry, just for my own pronunciation, is that Sepharis or Sepharis? Sepharis. Fantastic. Okay. Good, good. With a th- with a Seth. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've tried to cut out as many names as I can. We're gonna get into it. This was, this was, yeah, this is a, it's a bit of a tough one. And is, is Setheris kind of our antagonist or an anti-hero? Or? He's definitely an antagonist, I would say. Okay. But we can, we can make that call maybe. He's kind of an interesting character. Very nice. Okay. Excited to get to know him better. Is there anyone else? Are we ready to jump into discussion of the art? I think we're ready to jump into the story now. Okay, fantastic. And in that case, before we get into the meat of it, do you want to give us a, a hint of where we're going, whether this is a hero's journey, whether this is a story of, of a wayward adventure, of what are we dealing with, or do you want to save it? It's up to you. We can save it. I would maybe make the argument that this is, in fact, a heroine's journey. I love it. Which is sort of the, it's sort of a counterpoint to the hero's journey in that, like, it's more about building connections than it is about like getting particular skills or weapons or anything like that that we tend to associate with like the hero's journey (laughs) instead of like getting stronger on an individual level the heroine's journey which can be regardless of the gender of the person doing it is more about sort of building like bonds that end up being helpful or like contributing to the development of the character i love that i love that i find those stories to be much more satisfying yes often often i find that as well <laughs> well amazing then in that case let's jump right in how do we how did the story begin go ahead so the story actually begins like super abruptly with a messenger arriving in the middle of the night to this like little estate where maya has spent pretty much his entire life and the messenger says that something terrible has happened. Mm -hmm. An airship that was carrying the emperor and his three oldest sons crashed on the way back from, I believe, a wedding. And Maya is now extremely unexpectedly the next person in line for the throne. Oh my. Okay. As in, like, he is the the heir apparent now? Yeah, he is the heir apparent. Like, the messenger comes in and, like, addresses him as, like, your majesty. Wow, okay. Do go on. That sounds, that's uh, certainly an Exciting way to start it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> hence the Goblin Emperor. Okay. Hence the Goblin Emperor. Yes, we get the we get the title coming into play very early on. But he still has to like establish that power kind of thing because he's again like he's spent his entire life in isolation. He doesn't really have any allies at court. Sure. So Satheris actually says, you know, we need to get to the palace as soon as possible. Like we need to install you as emperor before somebody else can like come in and take over basically because mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of people grasping for power so they head off I think also in an airship which is maybe not ideal and I think Maya himself is like <laughs> oh I don't know about this but anyway that's sort of the main fast mode of travel and once there it becomes clear that Satheris was correct because there's you know a mad scramble happening and in particular there is a Lord Chancellor he's sort of like in the, the political system involves like a number of Lords sort of a cabinet of lords who have some degree of power and then the emperor himself and the lord chancellor sort of speaks for the cabinet he's sort of a speaker of the house type thing yeah and so he has some degree of power and he's clearly trying to like take over in the absence of an emperor or at least to like place himself with more power than he had before but maya is able to like get there quick enough to say like oh no i'm the emperor now hey nice to meet 
to mm-hmm. and like i'm i'm in charge now basically and and Sotheris kind of okay. empowers him to do so and he has to sort of get crowned it's similar to like a lot of monarchy type systems where like he has been maya that's the name he was given that's what he's called but becoming king he has to take on like a kingly name gotcha okay sort of similar I, like i believe this is generally how it works with the british royal family for example yeah that's right they like take on a, a name and he chooses not to become like the next in his father's name his father was like so and so the fifth and he decides not to become so and so the sixth he chooses a different name instead to like set himself apart from what his father was doing okay the name is adra hasifar but i'm not going to ask you to remember that wow okay so he's known as maya then for the rest of the book i'm hoping <laughs> yeah the actual text refers to him as maya good good it is all in third person and it all refers to him as maya cool okay it's just that the other characters like this is his king kingly name so to speak so the emperor gets personal guards who are like sworn to guard him all the time he's supposed to get four of them there's supposed to be like a spiritual one and like a more general army one there's like a whole system of politics that goes into that so he gets these guards and like bonds with them really quickly in a Mm -hmm. way that's like mildly inappropriate for an emperor to do with his guards like they're not supposed to be friends okay i see because he's he's an emperor and they're guards right strange work relationship yeah exactly he also elevates so the messenger that came to him who was like the first person that he spoke to basically uh who was the first person to address him as emperor he elevates that messenger to become his secretary and they also Mm -hmm. become somewhat close because he needs like he doesn't know anything about how the world of the court works so he really needs someone to walk him through things who like understands it and has like existed within it. I believe the messenger was like a secretary for the Lord Chancellor before. Okay. So he has a lot of experience with the workings of the court. And he also makes the controversial decision to attend the funeral of the workers who were on board the airship that exploded. That's nice. Because obviously it like it killed four royals, but it also killed like a bunch of their guards and like servants and stuff Mm -hmm. and so he decides to appear at their funeral because he thinks that like they also he's like well they also died like these people also lost family members and that sort of rankles some people i love that yeah nice nice egalitarian emperor exactly exactly and like we see that sort of that's a theme that emerges pretty early on is that like he respects and like has a lot of affection for sort of the quote-unquote common man sure (laughs) they sort of rush him into coronation because like the sooner he's coronated the sooner he has like firm control over things Mm -hmm. and nobody else can kind of try to skadoodle that's not a word that makes any sense subvert subvert is a good word I like Skadoodle personally, but thank you. (laughs) Nobody else can try to subvert him because his oldest brother had kids and they're still pretty young. I think the oldest one is like 12. They're not old enough to rule yet, but somebody could theoretically try to install them and like become like a protectorate kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the night before his coronation, he visits his mother's tomb for like the first time since she died, which is like a very emotionally important moment for him. He's also so, so part of the coronation is like going into like a vigil, spending some amount of time in like prayer and contemplation. And he's supposed to be accompanied mm-hmm. by relatives. So like his his cousin Satheris is supposed to be one of them. But he obviously due to like the years of abuse, he has like a very contentious relationship with Satheris and doesn't want that. And instead asks his personal guards to come with him to the vigil, which again is okay. like a very weird thing for an emperor to do and kind of puts them in a weird light and everyone swears their oaths to him and he's then officially crowned emperor and again he still he continues to sort of get into these things where he's because he was raised so far from court he doesn't really know a lot of the norms around it so he does things like at one point he snaps at his secretary and then apologizes and is like oh I'm so sorry and the secretary's like no 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 you don't apologize to me right <laughs> like, that's not what emperors do right after he's crowned they 
begin investigating what actually happened to this airship that exploded. Because, like, these airships are usually pretty safe. It seems like it was probably a bad idea to put three members of the royal family on one at the same time. But Diversify your assets, I guess. You know, keep them in different airships. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, that's a thing that they do with, like, in real life with royal families. Do they not? Like, they're not usually supposed to travel together. I don't know. That's interesting, though. That would make a certain amount of sense. I know that's what they do with, like, the companies do that now like with at least supposedly that's just what i've heard that like with the coke people who all know like the secret ingredient to coke or whatever like the holders of the kfc recipe yeah are not allowed to travel together they have to travel separately that's so interesting oh my gosh so that we don't lose the secret of coke i love it i mean that's probably a more apt comparison to a fantasy royal family than like the current royal family of britain at least that does not have any real power but i digress indeed begins to be a suspicion that the airship was sabotaged that like there was something that went on in the airship they think it was maybe a bomb thereby making it like an assassination attempt which is obviously a lot more serious than just a random horrific accident Mm -hmm. and on the advice of the secretary who again is sort of maya's like closest confidant he arranges to get what's called a witness for the dead who is like a priest basically, and who can, like, kind of communicate with the dead. It's unclear how exactly this works, and it's unclear how much of this is, like, legitimate magic with sort of quotations around it, and how much of it is just his own sort of spiritual belief. Okay, I see. But Interesting. Yeah, so Maya does get this this guy, the witness, his name is Kelahar. Mm -hmm. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sure. There's a lot of C names in this novel, and I believe that the C is pronounced with a hard k sound so the witness is kelahar he's sort of a disgraced priest he's given up his prelacy is the word that they use i don't know if that's a real thing in any actual (laughs) church but he's given up like his official designation basically as a priest but he can still do this communion with the dead thing and they have to go and he has to like touch the actual bodies to do it and then he launches an investigation from there okay and Maya, uh, meanwhile, begins to get to know some of the other people in court. Uh, He becomes friends with the Chancellor's son, and he is also confronted by his brother's widow, who's still around. Like, she was not on the airship, so she's fine. And she's unhappy that he was, like, desecrating the bodies by having this witness for the dead come and touch them. Okay. Even though that was sort of part of the investigation, but it's, it's controversial. Okay, interesting. So is there split opinion among the the court slash populace then whether or not this person is like a fraud slash hoax? Or is it just like a matter of like, ah, he's using black magic, you shouldn't do that? Yeah, it's not quite at the level of black magic, I don't think. But it's sort of clear that it's a practice that has moved out of favor. I see. It used to be kind of more of an important part of their like spirituality, but it's sort of no longer and they have other witnesses, like they're, they're called witnesses who are like other investigators who are considered to be more like legit whereas he's kind of a bit of a fringe option to take it's the implication i got is that it would be the equivalent of if you were like a a detective investigating a case and you called in a psychic ah yeah like maybe not quite to that extent but a similar level of like everyone being like what are you doing like this is i can understand the widow's frustration yeah and this is also i think the point at which we are introduced to the Great Bridge subplot. Okay. Basically, there is a big river and nobody has been able to ever build a bridge across it because it's too big. And so there's, I think, ships that do cross the big river. But um, that's obviously a very specific kind of trade that has to happen. And so if there was a bridge, it would be easier to have trade across the river. And that's the Great Bridge subplot. Love it. Okay. That's the Great Bridge subplot. We're going to come back to the Great Bridge subplot, but we hear about it now. Fantastic. The next thing that happens is, so this is a um, patrilineal society, and so only men can inherit the throne, but Maya has a couple of sisters kicking around who were not on the airship and survived. The old
oldest one of these, the previous emperor was in talks to marry her off somewhere for, you know, political gain. There's like a couple different lords, like there's the emperor and then there's like lords of various places who have various powers who are like sworn to the emperor, but also like the emperor kind of has to keep them happy to keep his power. Got it. Because if they were to decide to revolt, it would be bad. Okay. The sister like really doesn't want to get married and Maya meets with her and says like, oh, like what would you prefer? Like if you could do anything. And she says that she would prefer to study the stars. She's like very academically minded. Like she's very smart. And he's like, oh no, you should. You should be free to do that. And she's like, no, I respect that. But also you do need me to marry. Like you need to be selling me off for like political alliance. Mm -hmm. That's the smart thing to do. But eventually like he ends up telling both of her suitors that she's in mourning and she can't marry anyone for a year and writes to her and says like, go study the stars. Nice man. Yeah. There's also a sort of sweet scene where he he has to go pick like a signet ring because every king has like a, their specific seal. I love that. Yeah, it's like I figured you'd enjoy that. So cool. Always love a signet. So cool. I want one now. I want one. You should get one. I'm surprised that you don't. I mean, you kind of do have a signet ring. Do you not? I have my like university class ring and don't judge me, internet. It's very, it's very subtle. There's no giant gemstones on it. It's just a little silver band with my school's crest on it. That's all. But um, but I definitely want one. I'm going to like forge one for my family. Okay. Going to like find our coat of arms and like have one made. After this, I mean, how could I not? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> anyway, go on. And when he goes, the, the person who's like the royal signet maker or whatever <laughs> shows him the signet that was made for his mother, mm-hmm. which she never got a chance to use because she was, she was also like banished, kind of like pushed out of the public eye as soon as she had a kid. Okay. And he really likes it. And he ends up using it, sort of combining it with like his father's house sign to sort of merge the two. And he is like very touched by the fact that the signet maker showed him this and was like able to sort of give him this piece of his mother, so to speak. And he thinks about how sometimes people are kind without any like necessary ulterior motive. Mm-hmm. He starts engaging a little bit more in like the social scene. He is introduced to suitors like because they're you know he's emperor but he doesn't have any children which is not great all things considered historically indeed yeah so the idea is like to get him married off as soon as possible get him producing heirs with the chancellor's son they start going to some like social events and he meets and becomes infatuated with a beautiful opera singer okay which we're gonna come back to (laughs) sure (laughs) the only time he has previously the only memory he has previously of being at the palace and like in the court was when his mother died Mm -hmm. because they had like a state funeral for her and he was able to go to that and there was a woman who was assigned to basically keep an eye on him he remembers her being very kind so he looks her up to see what's sort of become of her and she's now sick and dying but he's able to meet with her he gets in touch with her family and she recognizes him and tells him that he was a very sweet boy he says to like her family like like what can i do can i do anything for you and they're like oh like can't really afford coal and like she's kind of cold and so he's like absolutely all of the coal you could want yeah I love it good good they also so the thing about like who he's going to marry because it's like a there's a political outcome obviously to like who he's going to marry Totally. he can't just marry like any random person he has to choose somebody who's going to like somehow enrich the situation Gotcha. somehow build more ties such and such and so they have to actually put the suit in front of his like advisory board awesome okay gotcha like he can't just choose on his own there has to be like a vote on who he's going to marry but he and his secretary sort of figure out a way to like kind of manipulate the vote a little bit like manipulate the advisors a little bit so that they vote on the one that he has already decided seems like the best person I love it political like manipulation yeah yeah and he sends her a letter of introduction and says you know I I I know that like this isn't exactly like a marriage of love or like of choice but like I want to be a good husband to you and she doesn't really respond to that right is this the opera singer or is this a different no this is this is just a random noble woman a random suitor gotcha okay yeah her name is Kasafiro Karadin I understand why you didn't uh, tell me that earlier fair enough (laughs) yes 
So we have an update on the bridge subplot. Oh, okay. Which is basically that like a lot of the wealthy noble families are against the idea of making a bridge because it would disrupt monopolies. It would make it a lot easier to trade across the river, which would make it a lot cheaper to trade across the river. So a lot more people could be involved in the industry of trade, whatever it is that they're trading, which I don't know. It's irrelevant to the point. So it would disrupt the monopolies that like the wealthy families have over what gets traded, at least in this specific area. So there's like a class element to this bridge subplot. Definitely. Interesting. Okay. So he's now like officially betrothed to this woman, Caradin. She's really kind of cold to him. She doesn't respond at all. She clearly is like not all that into this whole marriage idea. But he he continues to sort of make like connections, but like weird connections. Like he meets with... So his father initially married this one woman and it turned out she was infertile. And so he like set her aside to marry somebody else. Mm -hmm. But she's still a lady. Like he set her up in a nice estate and whatnot because she was from a wealthy family he couldn't just like True. be like bye right but maya reaches out to her and like becomes friends with her they start like having dinner together and she teaches him about how the court works meanwhile he also keeps going to these social events and like spending time with this opera singer and at one point his fiance who's like also coming to some of these social events because it's like a you know cool place for the young nobles to hang out i guess she comes up to him at one point and says like oh you know she's just using you right like she's just flirting with you because she wants something and Maya says I know but like you know there's nothing to kind of stop me from looking sort of thing like I'm mm -hmm. just sort of appreciating her beauty Sure. And Caradin, like the fiance, interprets correctly that basically what he likes about the opera singer is that she doesn't intimidate him. Like she doesn't kind of force him to put on any airs and like isn't like aggressive in any way. We also learn around this time that the guy who's the witness for the dead, the reason he is no longer like officially part of the church is because he was like doing his job and there was somebody who was murdered. And when he went to do his dead witnessing thing he found out that his own lover killed the person okay and so he had to basically condemn his own lover to death ah. so since then he's kind of been a little bit disenchanted Indeed. with the whole process gotcha and understandably so of curiosity did we already touch on the outcome of the the first witnessing of the dead for the the king and like was it sabotage do we know yeah so it's i think it was definitely sabotage or at least leaning in the direction of sabotage and he was basically going to go and investigate further. Okay, all right. And that's all we know so far, is that he was going to go look into it more. Gotcha. Maya also meets with his nephew, who is at the moment the next in line for the throne, but again, he's like 12. They, they bond a little bit as well. And then at a party, the beautiful opera singer approaches Maya and asks him for a favor, which is to meet with the bridge builders, who have been sort of trying and failing to get an audience with the court for some period of time now and so he does and is actually impressed by they like show him the plans for this bridge that they want to build it's some sort of like automated thing where it's like oh they can close the bridge or raise the bridge and nice. they show him the plans and he's very impressed as a reward for that sort of thing she offers to like go home with him and like sleep with him and he turns her down because it's pretty clearly like a an exchange it's not that she feels anything genuine for him yeah yeah and she's kind of surprised by that but also is happy about it mm -hmm. <laughs> but they kind of build some respect there kind of an interesting exchange mm -hmm. totally and then the witness for the dead at that point he goes leaves the court he leaves the capital city to like really go and get himself in the weeds so to speak of investigating what might have happened to the airship because again they think it was probably a bomb but they have to track down like who built the bomb where it came from all that mm -hmm. good stuff mm -hmm. okay so maya he's met with the bridge builders he gets the court to also hear out the bridge builders give them a fair meeting which again sort of makes him a little bit unpopular with some of these like wealthy families who don't want this bridge to be built and he's like now sort of publicly thrown in his lot with them gotcha one night maya awakens sort of suddenly in the middle of the night and calls for his guard and there's no response which is not great because the guards are supposed to always be there yeah 
and a bag is placed over his head and he is taken out of his bedchambers, taken down to like one of the kitchens, I think, where he meets his sister-in-law. So the one that was annoyed at the witness for the dead coming in, who's the mother of the children who are still there, the next in line. Yeah, an upstart empress dowager, perhaps. Yes, exactly. And also the chancellor, who Mm -hmm. they're allied. And I think the idea is that they want him to abdicate in favor of his nephew, who will become emperor with the chancellor and the sister-in-law sort of working as his representatives. Gotcha. Basically, at first, he's kind of like in a bit of a depression because he's like, maybe they're right. Like, maybe I'm going to completely screw this up. I'm not meant to be emperor. Like, maybe it would be better for my nephew to rule. And especially because, like, one of his personal guards turned against him, basically. Yeah, betrayed him. If I can't even keep their loyalty, what am I doing? But then he sort of rallies himself and is like, if you're going to put my nephew on the throne, I want to speak to him first. So either let me speak to him or like kill me directly. So they sort of reluctantly bring the nephew in who's like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do not want this. I do not want to be emperor. I don't want you to depose my uncle. And like very eloquently kind of shuts them down, says he doesn't want the throne. Love it. And is able to like buy enough time for the rest of the guards to like arrive and sort of save the situation. Right, find the emperor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Maya is saved. It's it's implied definitely that, like, they tell Maya that they would have just, like, shipped him off to a nice estate, but it's implied that he would definitely have been killed. Of course, I mean, the threat to power floating around out there, no way. Yeah, you can't just let the old emperor stick around. That's not how that works. No, definitely not. He's, like, shaken from his ordeal, but he and his nephew are obviously closer now that they've kind of had to throw their lot in together. Mm-hmm. He, he also reassures he goes to visit like his nephew and also he's got two nieces who are like younger and he goes to reassure them because like their mother has now been arrested for treason I was gonna say what happened to them and the chancellor did they both get yeah they both get arrested we don't find out exactly what's going to happen like they both get stripped of power and like thrown in jail but we don't get a resolution to that eventually they have to figure out what they do with them but we don't get to that for a little bit they're just kind of in mm-hmm. prison and the guard who betrayed him they capture him as well and he's like what's gonna happen to this guard and is told that he will commit something called Reveth Voran which is like a ritual suicide for having betrayed his emperor it's like a specific thing to like their sort of order of yeah to those guards yeah of like special guards basically part of that is that the person who has done it has to apologize to the people that they have harmed totally so Maya has to go and meet with this guard to receive his apology which is a little bit stilted and weird and the guard also asks Maya to stay to witness the actual act wow which is pretty unusual but he doesn't really have any family or anything and so Maya agrees out of guilt and it's kind of horrible is it described not in like super depth my my understanding is that it's like a death from a thousand cuts kind of situation oh dear yeah yeah so horrible yeah like it's not super gory I guess would be the like point I was making with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's described in some aspects as like this is part of their culture, but it's also like Maya is like a little bit separate from that and he's like, wow, this this is kind of awful. It's kind of brutal, yeah. But it's like, even if that hadn't been the factor, the guard probably would have had to be executed because of treason. Right. He, and he gets a new guard who's actually a woman, which is fun. That's cool. Yeah. And as a result of the chancellor being involved in this coup attempt, Maya has to kind of distance himself from everyone involved in the Chancellor's household. So that includes... No, the son. The son, who was his Uh, friend, which is kind of a huge bummer. That is a bummer. I was going to ask, by the way, out of curiosity, just curiosity, is there any shipping there going on or not at all? One could probably make that argument. Like, it's a very very romance-free book, which is interesting. Like, one, one could apply a shipping lens probably, to the relationship 
of the sun or to the i mean there's like the the opera singer that he obviously has like some feelings for and then even like the the fiance who like does start to warm up to him after they start to have discussions like after the assassination attempt she writes him a letter that's saying like oh she wishes she could have been there so that she could have challenged the like sister-in-law to a duel love it i love that yeah which is really fun yeah but the other the other part is Sotheris had so as sort of a as a what's the word I'm looking for here reward for sort of his help in putting Maya on the throne Maya had given him a position in the chancellor's office oh dear okay so he doesn't think he was involved in the coup and like Sotheris's wife even comes to him to like plead her husband's case as like oh he wasn't involved in the coup like he didn't know anything about it like please give him mercy and Maya says you know I don't think he was involved but also like I can't stand my cousin like I Mm. hate him I think specifically he actually says we hate him because again there's the royal we being used and shows her like scars that he has from some of the abuse that Satheris gave him over the years Mm. and by extension also shows that to his guards which is sort of this moment of vulnerability but he ends up basically sending Satheris like far away as like he's out of his life he never has to see him again but it's also like showing him mercy for not being involved in the coup totally okay so he has to choose a new chancellor and then they all sort of try to move on from this weird coup situation with him like not like it seems like it was contained to just the chancellor and the sister-in-law but obviously there's other people Mm -hmm. who are not happy with him Mm -hmm. and then maya's grandfather visits the great avar the king Mm -hmm. of barazan the goblin king so to speak maya is curious about why he never did anything to help his daughter slash Maya's mother and the great Avar says that he couldn't have done anything anyway but like they they sort of make a bit of a connection he builds a bond with the great Avar okay he also receives a letter from the witness who says that he has found the culprits who made the bomb they're sort of part of this like revolutionary sect of people they're like this this little club that's not quite the right word they're sort of fanatics like they're very anti-government anti-emperor okay so they were the ones who made the bomb but clearly they were being funded by someone else someone with actual power gotcha there's a lot going on in this book and i love it yeah it's it's a cool like weird mix of things then at one of the festivals maya speaks to his fiance she apologizes for having acted coldly to him before she says she didn't really realize like the basically the court gossip is that he's like simple and like not Mm -hmm. very intelligent that's sort of the like stereotype about goblins she says she received bad gossip basically and takes ownership of that and then they sort of bond and then he leaves the celebration to say goodbye to the the woman who cared for him as a child when he came to the capital because she's dying he gets the news that like oh she's probably not going to live through the night so he leaves the celebration to go and see her one last time that's nice yeah and then the next morning is actually his birthday he's turning 19 I don't remember if I told you how old he was, but he's he's like 18. No, he's very young. Yeah. Okay, I didn't realize he's just a boy and he wakes up to find that because he was trying to keep it kind of secret but he's the emperor can't really keep your birthday secret and he wakes up to find like his secretary and his guards and everything like preparing birthday gifts for him in secret Mm -hmm. and a bunch of like regular commoners people who were family members of those who died in the airship and stuff like that have sent him like happy birthday messages Mm, that's nice his fiance gets him a cool sword Mm -hmm. as you do as you do his grandfather buys him a horse and one of the gifts that he receives is from a family called the tethemata who are like they have been a bit of a thorn in his side this whole time the sort of leader or like the head of the family was one of the ones who wanted to marry his sister and and they've sort of been hounding him about this and they send him these silk beddings that he knows are made in these like horrific factory conditions gotcha and so they're they're like horrifically expensive but they're like I forget exactly why it's something to do with the fact that like the process used to make them causes blindness.
blindness in the people making them. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's like this ridiculously ostentatious gift that he's kind of horrified by because he's like, I don't want these. Can mm-hmm. we get rid of them quietly or like do something and like help these people? And then they have like a proper ball, I guess, like fe- like festivity for his birthday. And at the festivity, while he's hanging out, being an emperor, the head of the Tethimata family approaches him and then pulls out a dagger and tries to murder him right there. Oh my gosh. In the middle of the party. A2 Brute. Yeah, which is a bit of a bummer. But luckily his personal guards are on it and they stop it from happening. The one who's sort of like the spiritual Mm. side is able to cast like some kind of death spell on the dude, which kills him in sort of the aftermath as everyone's like, what just Mm. happened? Because, like, uh, the whole court is there, basically. His fiance comes up to him to, like, check on him and says, like, oh, if we had been closer, we would have gutted him because she's just kind of a badass, I guess. Love it. Honestly, I like her. She's grown on me. Yeah, she's great. I love her. So they find one of the Tethimata, like, servants and they get a confession out of him about the attempt on Maya's life. And meanwhile, the witness for the dead returns to the palace and has discovered that the Tethimata house was involved in the assassination of the previous emperor as well. But basically there was a, not a miscommunication, but the Tethimata had financed the fanatics in building this bomb Ah. and then it was supposed to just be like a test run of this particular airship to see if they could get the bomb on board they weren't supposed to blow it up they were supposed to wait until the head of the house had married the sister so that then he could sort of finagle his way into becoming emperor Mm -hmm. but because the fanatics just wanted to kill the emperor they just blew it up at the time oops i love it and so then he was left kind of scrambling damn okay so as sort of revenge against the whole house uh, maya dissolves the family name and like that the house itself and he divides the assets among the sisters because there's like a couple sisters who like weren't involved in any of this as like dowry so that they can still make good marriages they've now captured the bomb makers due to the witnesses information and he goes to meet with them and and sort of is like oh like is it really that bad and they say that basically that they paved the way for him to become emperor and that like now he can go on to like make the radical changes that they want Mm -hmm. and they say that they wanted him to become emperor and it's sort of unclear about how much of this was pre-planned and how much of this was just like happy coincidence Mm -hmm. because like they they wouldn't necessarily have known that he was in fact someone who was going to make like good choices totally so basically what happens is that the trials for the chancellor and the sister-in-law commence sort of similarly at a time of him figuring out like what he's doing to house Tethimata and because like that was so obviously an assassination attempt and killed like the emperor and several sons he's able to show some clemency to at least his his Mm sister-in-law and to the chancellor's family he's able to sort of send them, them away from court unfortunately including the son that he was friends with Mm. he also kind of has to go into exile which sucks totally and the sister-in-law goes into exile and like isn't allowed to see her children anymore but like he's able to get away with not executing them basically Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he doesn't really want to do that good thing yeah i mean like nice maybe not ideal well, in the long term but indeed merciful king let's say perhaps not good king but merciful <laughs> merciful king things start to calm down a little bit and we get some snippets of like he spends time with his nephew and he goes stargazing with his sister and his fiance teaches him how to dance and the opera singer at one point comes to kind of apologize for using him and she admits that she's actually in love with one of the bridge builders and the witness for the dead asks to be released from service to the emperor so that he can rejoin the priesthood because he's sort of refound some of his faith during all of this and like I think just feels accomplished mm-hmm. at having solved this case basically. Detective priest returns to returns his, his former glory I love it. Yeah and Maya also at one point snaps at his guards 
and says like we can't be friends in the traditional sense but like i care for you Mm -hmm. that their relationship sort of goes beyond king and guards like that there is like genuine fondness there and they say that they would die for him and not only because they swore an oath to do so like they would also have chosen that that's nice yeah and then the book ends with one last one last check-in about the bridge subplot which (laughs) is sort of the council or the cabinet or whatever it is is like voting on whether or not to go ahead finance this bridge allow it to be made and it comes down to a tie Mm -hmm. there's a lot of sort of in between bits of like Maya meeting with people to do bridge stuff but I've skipped a lot of that but it ends up coming down to a tie like equal votes on each side and in that case it's Maya's vote that makes the tie breaking vote and he obviously votes for the bridge and his secretary says like oh they're gonna begin calling you like the bridge builder as like your sort of kingly epithet I love it and Maya thinks to himself that if the rest of his life were spent building bridges and like metaphorically alliances and relationships Mm -hmm. that it would not be a bad thing and then that's where the book ends i love it that's fantastic i oh my gosh what a good way to end it and i definitely see what you mean by the heroine's journey eh? yeah that like every everything that like helps him is sort of in the alliances that he builds basically mm-hmm. well that's nice yeah. oh well, what a good place to end fantastic i guess how did you enjoy it what are your thoughts coming right out of this i really like this book i kind of wanted to do it because it's sort of an interesting book and i i think it's just a really lovely book too like it's kind of about mm-hmm. just the the power of sort of trying to be like a decent person in like difficult circumstances mm-hmm. and the fact that it is like a political interest book ostensibly but rather than being for the most part like rather than being about like subverting each other it's all about him just trying to like make nice with people and like be friends with people totally yeah absolutely yeah how did how did you feel about it i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it it's uh, almost inspiring yeah for sure kind of inspires me to as you said he's he's trying to be a good person in difficult situations inspires me to want to mm-hmm. do the same in the same way that I I don't know if any of our listeners have have watched this, but in the same way that watching the show The Good Place makes me want to be a better you know it's, it's just uh yeah so that's a good example yeah i like that comparison for sure because that's I, I would agree with you but i'm interesting to see like you obviously have like like i know you're very interested in like politics and like political systems mm-hmm. and stuff like that and so i'm interested in like what you make of this sort of approach to politics and political intrigue yeah well one of the things you've already pointed out it is there to a certain degree but the fact that there's not a huge romance subplot mm-hmm I found that to be incredibly refreshing in a political intrigue type of book because I feel like that Mm -hmm. plays a much bigger element and in this one it it was kind of kind of took a backseat and I like as well that with his wife the person who he did have Mm -hmm. somewhat of a romantic subplot with I guess it really wasn't it was more of a partnership right yeah I like that a lot just found it refreshing and also as you noted a lot of times in political intrigue and political books and books about political systems and political power there's a huge emphasis on on betrayal and subversion and there was that to a degree but it took a more of a lighter approach to it i guess like Mm -hmm. i don't know the one doing all the betraying and subverting was not our protagonist right our protagonist yeah be a genuinely good person who tried to show mercy and i like that you know it's very diplomatic yeah exactly i mean again sort of with the bridge builder as like he becomes Mm -hmm. adra hasafar the bridge builder. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that would be very appropriate. And it's an interesting, like, I don't know exactly what side of it I fall down on because I like I like this book and how it has kind of a feel-good mm-hmm. experience to it. Like, you you put the book down and you're like, oh, that was such a nice experience. Mm-hmm. But I, it's interesting to me how it maybe interacts with the idea of, like, power is a corrupting influence and, like... Definitely. Yeah, and the fact that, like, that doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, we don't see any further of my 
Maya's life. We we only see like this book maybe takes place over the course of like a year, maybe totally like a few yeah. months. Well, that's just it. That's kind of what I was gonna ask next. This feels light and not not juvenile. Mm-hmm. Feels happy and bright. And is this a series? Because I could definitely see the corrupting power of the office and of having to make these monumental decisions, which impact someone for better or worse, having a corrupting effect on mm-hmm. Maya and maybe not leading him to corruption, but leading him to being more pragmatic and a little bit more ruthless. Does that, is this a series or? No. So the author is coming out with a sequel slash spinoff. I'm not entirely sure what the correct terminology is. It's called The Witness for the Dead. Love it. And so it's going to focus more on that character. And like, I, I think it's supposed to focus on like what's happening after he like rejoins basically the priesthood, the prelacy. <laughs> I assume we will get snippets of what the world looks like and we can kind of make some assumptions of what Maya's rule has been like, but it's not a direct mm-hmm. sequel about Maya. Oh, very cool. I wonder if that one's going to be a little bit darker because it's not dealing with our an incorruptible protagonist. Yeah, and I, I wonder about that too because like it's as somebody who has never held any kind of official office, but like it does seem to be a factor that like having power, being a ruler, like being in charge of a country like that's or even, you know, a small to a smaller degree, like a smaller space as well, I assume, you know, premiers maybe also mm-hmm. governors also have have a difficult time of it that like like there are hard decisions that come with that and there are like difficult Absolutely. difficult calls that need to be made like it seems relevant that Maya is also like yes there is unrest happening at the time of his rule that we see here like but it's sort of internal unrest like he's dealing with House Tethimata and stuff like that but he's not like in a war for example where you would have to make calls about what to do with soldiers or weapons or anything Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that not yet not yet indeed yeah and I, I guess coming from this then do you feel satisfied fully satisfied with the fluffiness and the lightness no I don't mean to say fluffiness in a dismissive way but the the lightness the levity is that, is that that's a word yeah levity is a yeah word. yeah <laughs> are, are you satisfied with that I I am but it's definitely like I feel like you read this when you're seeking a certain type of book. Like this is still the reason that I see this recommended usually like online and stuff is people who are looking for stories about kindness and stories that are like optimistic. Yeah. And I think that's like a valid thing to look for in a book and like that sort of escapism of like, Oh, like this is a world in which like, you know, people are kind for no reason and they do things that aren't going to benefit them directly. They Mm -hmm. just do it to like help other people. And, and this guy who was almost like this this book reminds me a lot of have you ever seen the movie Dave nope <laughs> with I forget the actor who's in it it doesn't matter but it's where this guy is hired to be a he's hired to be sort of the president's like lookalike okay. and he's hired on to just do like a quick appearance and then the president has a massive heart attack and his like top advisors are like oh we want power and and so we can't let anyone know that the president is in like a vegetative state. Mm-hmm. So they put Dave, who's just this normal dude, like they pretend like he's the president. Interesting premise. It is. It's a cute movie. At least I remember it being a cute movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. So there might be some parts that don't hold up. But and he at first is just kind of a goofball and like doing whatever. But then he actually starts to like use his power and like goes against what these advisors who are kind of scumbags want and ends up doing like actually good things with his Mm. power and this reminds me a little bit of that in the sense of like this is somebody who should not have had power (laughs) by all accounts they have been thrown into this position of extreme power with Mm. like no preparation and none of like the usual hurdles that people take to get there Mm -hmm. and like none of the usual I don't want to call it training but like I I would assume that there is a certain amount of learning involved (laughs) in the process to become president generally speaking I mean you know who knows what the American system does anymore but you know in terms of like what you can and can't do and like what 
totally. what you're supposed yeah. to do in the same way that you would get if you were growing up a prince who was expected to take the crown one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely see what you mean. And especially just given the, the last year, year and a half, I can totally understand someone wanting to seek a book that is political intrigue, because that's a, mm-hmm. a subject that a lot of people like, Yeah, but also escapism without mm-hmm. necessarily having the somewhat overdone allegories to the real world, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it, they're, they're there and they're poetic and they're they're beautiful in most of the, the books mm-hmm. that they appear in. And they're very well done, but sometimes they can be exhausting just as constant yeah. reminders of reality. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't necessarily want that in everything. Yeah. Like that's, it's a specific kind of book I think that you're seeking if you pick up the Goblin Emperor. And for like what it is, I do find it satisfying. Oh, yeah. But there is, I guess, sort of those questions still looming over me in terms of like, he's still an emperor. This is still like an imperial system. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's still like obviously exploitation happening within this world and who yeah. knows if he would be able to like it seems like he, Maya has an intention to help as many people as possible but who knows if that would even be possible within the system that Indeed. he's a part of. Indeed. Yeah. Even if he does remain incorruptible. That should I kind of after I said it earlier on I was kind of chuckling at myself internally for calling him an egalitarian king or an egalitarian emperor, right? Yeah. No such thing. But Exactly. Like, that's kind of... No kidding. It's a bit of an oxymoron. But no, totally. I love it. And I feel like <laughs> in this type of book, you're not really meant to take it so seriously or really do that analysis. Or maybe you are. Maybe they're going to get darker or grittier or more realistic as they go on. I guess time will tell. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Like, I, I wanted to do this book now for people who maybe wanted like a refresher of this book or, you know, weren't sure if this was the kind of thing they were going to enjoy before The Witness for the Dead comes out which it does later this month. I don't remember the date because I didn't write it down, but it's coming out soon. I feel like sometimes I just devote to doing promo for people who have not paid us for promo. That's right. That's right. <laughs> have never met us. Yeah. No idea who we are, but we can. No idea who we are. Probably don't know that we're talking about their book, but... <laughs> fine. That's fine. They don't need to know. Love it. Love it. Well, fantastic. On my end, at least in summary, I, mm. I found it very satisfying and enjoyable. Oh, that's good. And frankly, a great way to start the day. Perfect morning. Yeah, nice. A nice little morning read. I mean, it is like 400, almost 500 pages, but it's a nice little morning read. <laughs> well, morning read for you. The, morning read for me. The, the speed reader of the two of us. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I guess, uh, do you want to introduce our next book? Yeah. So next time, probably. <laughs> Unless you lie to us again. Unless I lie to you again, we will be looking at The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin, Love it. which is, you know, a piece of fundamental feminist science fiction. It's going to be more fun than I made it sound there. But... I was going to say, <laughs> way to sell it. Oh, I love it. Can't wait. I find, I think it was published in the 70s and like 70s fe- feminist science fiction is like deeply fascinating to me because it's in a lot of ways we've moved beyond it in terms of like how we conceptualize like gender and sexuality and like a lot of that sort of fiction isn't necessarily super um, inclusive. Like it's not necessarily the most... Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What are they? Oh, I equitable. I'm not sure what you're trying to say. Like when you are a feminist, I took. I have a degree in this. When you're a feminist, <laughs> but you also include like all of the different oppressions. There's a word for it. Intersectional. Intersectional. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. I'm. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's early. I mean, it is now almost noon, but that's fine. <laughs> like that. The books from that era, I personally don't think are like super intersectional at times but they're just kind of fascinating to see like these usually women in the 70s who are just like I'm gonna write a thing about gender and it's gonna be weird and wild and I don't know I think it's interesting I think those books are interesting we'll see what you think yeah totally it'll make a nice case study if nothing else exactly exactly well looking forward to it okay so if you've enjoyed listening and presumably you have since you made it all the way to the end assuming that you didn't skip through stuff but why would you do that that would be a weird thing to do to listen just to the outro please leave a a rating a thumbs up a like or subscribe depending on your respective podcast streaming platform leave us a review that would be cool that'd be cool you can find all our episodes on buzzsprout as 
the Brodacious Book Club. And you can reach us at brodaciousbookclub at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter as at bookbrodacious or just by searching for our name, Brodacious Book Club. I don't know if we introduced the podcast when we started it. We're great. We're professionals. Well, semi-professional. You probably did. I believe that you did. Well, I will find out when, when it gets edited, I guess. <laughs> we'll find out when and you are oh yes um <laughs> I, have been, I have been aaron rockford i'm on twitter at pineapple fury and i'm matt thomas and you can find me at ms thomas 95 on twitter and uh do something nice be be altruistic be kind for no reason yeah go watch the good place if you haven't it's a good tv show go watch the, oh it'll make you cry just like it made me it cry. will it will i also i cried through like the whole final episode it was it was a bad time same anyway but it will it will encourage you to go do something good it will move you i I like that go do something good